You are listening to episode 18 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 41, Wellover Orbital, January 12th, 2373. Jimmy Chin ran three of the best restaurants in the quadrant, and they were all on Wellover Orbital. He had a noodle shop on the O2 deck, a hibachi place on deck six, but his plum blossom on deck eight was the place to go for oriental cuisine. It was a scrumptious melange of rice, spice, and sauce, and I tried to eat there at least once every time I got to Welliver. I refused to tell the crew where I was taking them, but when we got on the lift and I punched the eight button, I got the idea that Ms. Maloney knew where we were headed. If she kept an apartment on the orbital, she had to know about plum blossom. Before we got there, I asked her, Is there a problem with going up to Deck 8, Miss Maitland? She shook her head. Jimmy is a good friend, Captain. The chief shot her a look, but kept his irascible grin in place without making any comment. I pretended not to notice, and Miss Arione kept her eyes front, but I could see her frowning reflection in the lift's doors. The lift stopped, and we trooped out and headed to port. About a quarter of the way around the orbital, we came to a rather subtle entrance featuring nothing more indicative than a stylized flower done in rich purple. When we opened the door and stepped in, a tumult of color and noise and aroma assaulted us. I thought Miss Arione would go into cardiac arrest, and I suppose it was a bit cruel to spring it on her like that, but the chief certainly knew his way around. I could see him measuring up the dining room, scoping out the staff, and eyeing a discreet door beside the kitchen. The man himself greeted us when we walked in. His eyes lit up when he saw Ms. Maloney, and again when he saw me. Being the consummate gentleman and skilled diplomat, he ignored me and focused on Ms. Maloney. Before he could say anything, she greeted him. Jimmy, you old scallywag, I don't know if you remember me. Catherine? Catherine Maitland? I haven't seen you in so long. She held out her hand, but he tisked and shook his head. Oh, for shame, Miss Maitland. How could I forget such a flower among women? He moved in for the hug, but changed his mind and shook the offered hand in both of his. He looked around at the rest of us and picked up his cue carefully. Perhaps you'd introduce me to the rest of your party. Certainly. Chief Bailey, I think you may remember Jimmy Chin. The chief nodded and grinned. For his part, Jimmy smiled. Of course. Nice to see you again, chief. Miss Stacy Arione, may I present the proprietor of the finest restaurant on the orbital, Mr. Jimmy Chin. Jimmy, this is my friend Miss Stacy Arione. He smiled broadly at her and shook her hand. You, Miss Arione, I'm sure I have never met. I would have remembered. Finally, Captain Wong, I think you know Jimmy. He gave me his customary hug and pounded my back. So, you're still Captain Wong, Ishmael, he said softly in my ear. I am, Jimmy, and I'm famished. Do you have a place for us to sit and perhaps a small bowl of steamed rice? He laughed, a big ho-ho-ho laugh, and led us into the dining room, waving his hands for staff to jump, and jump they did. Miss Maloney gave me a look that was equal parts amusement and consternation. I've eaten here before, was Maitland. My tone carried deserts in the delivery. For the first time since I'd known her, she barked an honest-to-God's laugh, and her eyes lost a bit of their edge. I don't think it should have felt as good as it did to hear her laugh, but I didn't have time to ponder as Jimmy showed us to a sheltered table out of the line of sight and backed up against a solid bulkhead. The chief and Ms. Arione sat with their backs to the wall where they could watch the room, and Ms. Maloney and I sat where nobody could see our faces. The chief wasn't happy with this arrangement, and I pondered briefly why I seemed to attract chief engineers with extra personalities. Jimmy, in the meantime, leaned down to me. Will you trust me one more time, Ishmael? Always, Jimmy. Feed us, please. He grinned and patted me on the shoulder. You, I owe big time. 
He stood and snapped his fingers, waving his hand in a summons. You remember the last time you saw me? We had that lovely banquet on your ship. I do, Jimmy. Thank you for that. He waved aside my thanks. I should thank you, Ishmael. My takeout business is now twice as big as Noodle House and closing on Golden Walk. I don't know why I didn't think of it before. Miss Maloney caught a bit of the conversation. Jimmy, I thought you always had takeout. I know I've ordered from you for Stanier's. He grinned. Indeed, you have, Miss Maitland, but Ishmael's inspiration was to offer it to the docks. He clapped me on the back. And what a wonderful feast we had that night, huh? Oh, yes, my friend. My crew talked about it for weeks after. Tonight, he nodded sagely. Tonight, it will be better. The first tray of food showed up at the table, and he stepped back out of the way. What followed was a gustatory parade of the First Order, there were soups and noodles and rice dishes and chicken dishes. We had sweet and hot and sour and salt and variations on the themes and combinations that left me breathless, literally in the case of one rather spicy dish that burned so much I almost asked for another. If Ms. Arione and Chief Bailey didn't enjoy the dinner as much as Ms. Maloney and I did, it was through no fault of the food. They both played the bodyguard game too hard for my blood, and neither of them seemed to get along with the other. The first I couldn't do much about but the second I might need to address once we returned to the ship. After about two stands of course after course, the meal ended with a lovely tong shui. It was a good thing it did, too, because I had already eaten more in that one meal than I had all week. It amused and quietly pleased me that Ms. Maloney kept up, even though we lost a chief and Ms. Arione somewhere between the pork-fried dumplings and the unan chicken. When it became clear that we were through, Jimmy himself brought us the check. He presented it to me with a flare, and I laughed when I saw it. I looked up at him. Jimmy, is this some kind of joke? He put on a look of one who has been grievously wounded. Ishmael, my friend, you cut me to the quick. How would it look if people think Jimmy Chen gives away his food, huh? I ask you, how would it look? I tisked in sympathy and shook my head. Forgive me, old friend. I should have considered your reputation. I meant no offense. I bowed in my seat, as well as I could, around the table and my stuffed belly. He returned the bow, going much lower than I had. None taken, old friend. I added a generous tip, a thumbed the amount, and handed it back before rising. Miss Arione and the chief were up in a flash and standing between us and the door. Jimmy caught the movement and gave me a little shrug as if to say, What can you do? I held out my hand. Thank you again, Jimmy. I'll stop by next time I'm on station. He shook it warmly, his eyes crinkling around the edges with his smile. Thank you, Ishmael. I'll look forward to it. He turned to Miss Maloney and reached out his hand. And you, Miss Maitland, don't be such a stranger. Thank you, Jimmy. I'll be back as soon as I digest this meal. She patted her stomach in unabashed chagrin. Sometime in May, if I'm any judge. We shared a laugh, and the two guards led us, as nonchalantly as possible, out of the restaurant. When we were back in the lift and headed down, Miss Maloney looked at me and asked, What was that about, the joke thing? I grinned at her. The amount was not what I expected. Her eyebrows went up in surprise and a bit of interest. Really? I would have expected a meal like that to cost rather a lot. Me too, Miss Maitland. She frowned in confusion. Pardon me for being gauche, but you've piqued my interest now. How much did he charge you? Four credits. She blinked at me in disbelief. The bill was four credits? Yes, hence his comment about giving away meals. He didn't give it away. He charged us a credit apiece. Nobody ate for free. Miss Maloney shook her head. Now I'm jealous, Captain. I arched an eyebrow in her direction. Jealous of what, Miss Maitland? Your relationship with Jimmy Chin. She shook her head in mock despair. 
The lift doors opened, and I started to step off onto the docks before I realized that we'd stopped one deck short. When the doors opened, a tall, bookish-looking man rushed on and ran headlong into Chief Bailey. He bounced off with a muttered apology. The chief grabbed him and started to fling him to the deck, but held his impulse. As the doors closed behind him, the man blinked a couple of times, looking at the chief's face carefully while the chief's hands twitched. Well, my word, it's Gramps, isn't it, Gramps Bailey? Where's your lovely charge? His eyes raked our group. His gaze froze on Ms. Maloney. There she is. He tried to untangle himself from the chief briefly before he realized the chief held him firmly by the front of his jacket. Andrew? Andrew Lehman, is that you? Ms. Maloney stepped forward to greet the man with a hug, forcing Chief Bailey to release him and step back. The lift continued down to the docks, and the doors opened as they continued their effusive greetings. We stepped off the lift to make room for a group of spacers waiting to get on. The chief and Ms. Arione both twitched as we slipped around the crowd of too many people all at once. I sighed inwardly. I never expected to run into you here, hon. I thought you lived over in Diurnia. What are you doing here? His eyes went to her spacer-cropped hair. He didn't comment on it, but he clearly wasn't expecting it. Normally I do. I'm just passing through, she said. But what about you? What in the world are you doing here? I thought you'd gone back to Vivera to teach. Ah, it was too boring. Same silly students, quarter after quarter, all wanting top marks for average work. And if that wasn't bad enough, I practically drowned in committee work. I gave it up and went back into the field. His eyes flickered to me and then Miss Arione as he talked. What are you doing on Welliver? Oh, I've been down on the planet doing some survey work on the substrata distribution of mineral deposits for a company here. He grinned. When I left university, I started my own business, Ley Lines. It's worked out splendidly, beyond my wildest dreams. Who'd have thought seismic survey work would be in such demand? She got the high sign from the chief, and I had to admit, standing there in the icy-cold dock was beginning to strain my tolerance. Well, that's wonderful, Andrew. He stopped gushing about his business for a moment, and his face turned serious. What about you, Han? I heard about your father. How are you? I was so sorry to hear. I'm okay, Andrew. She reached out to touch him on the arm. Thank you. It was a terrible shock, as you might imagine, but life has to go on. Oh, I know. I lost my mother a couple stanyers back. It's so unexpected when they pass on so young. He smiled at her in sympathy, genuine warmth in his eyes. As if suddenly realizing that we were all standing around freezing on the docks, he stepped back. Well, I won't keep you, Han. I see you've got things to do, but it was so wonderful to see you. And you, Andrew, you take care of yourself. Always do, he assured with a grin. He pressed the call button on the lift, and we started to walk along when he called after us. Say, Christine. The chief flinched as her name echoed across the docks. She turned to look at him. You might be able to help me. Do you know any ships going to Ten Volt? I've got a new job there as first of next month. I've shipped my gear, but getting there myself is proving to be a bit of a challenge. The lift doors opened, and he stood on the threshold to keep them from closing as he spoke. She shot me a look, and I shrugged. Can't hurt to talk to the man, I told her. We changed course and followed him back into the lift. He looked around at us curiously, and Ms. Maloney pressed the button for deck six. Andrew, this is Captain Ishmael Huang. I nodded to him. And Miss Stacy Arione. She continued to size him up. And you know Chief Bailey. He gave his happy-go-lucky grin and a nod. For security reasons, I'm Catherine, not Christine. Let's get some coffee and we'll have a little chat, shall we? Okay, sure. Curiosity painted his face, and I had to give him credit. He didn't ask any questions and followed her lead in spite of his obvious confusion. When the doors opened, we all slipped off, and Miss Maloney cued Miss Arione to lead us to starboard. We found a quiet coffee shop with a few booths around the edges and a lot of empty tables in the middle. After getting our drinks, Andrew, Ms. Maloney, and I slipped into a booth, and the chief and Ms. Arione settled at the nearest table. 
Andrew noted the arrangement. I could see his eyes flick curiously at them as we settled. It seems like overkill, doesn't it, uh, Catherine? Ms. Maloney shrugged. Insurance company requirement. Not much I can do about it. She sipped her coffee before getting down to business. So, tell me about Tenvolt. Oh, I've got a rushed job. The company there found some new deposits, which for obvious and non-disclosure reasons I've already said too much about, but I need to get there by the first of the month to do some subsurface mapping. I've got a couple of tons of equipment in transit there already, I think, but getting me there is not so easy. As much traveling as you do, you know as well as I how difficult it is to get that far in under half a lifetime. He sipped his coffee. Couldn't charter a packet, she asked him curiously, with an eyebrow raised in my direction. Oh, there were plenty who were interested when I started talking a week ago, but when they found out I needed to go to Tenvolt, they lost interest quickly. They all had passengers or cargo commitments that kept them from taking a charter, and none of them were heading in Tenvolt's direction. As he talked, he kept glancing at me. He didn't ask, but it was clear from his expression he hoped I was the solution to his problem. Ms. Maloney looked at me with a nod. Well, as it happens... I said. We have a shipment going to ten volt. It's supposed to be loaded tomorrow, and we're pulling out the day after. His eyes widened, and he smiled hopefully, looking from Ms. Maloney to me and back. If it's a question of money, Captain, I shook my head. My problem is I don't have the correct license to carry passengers. I think I'll have it tomorrow, and then we can talk about giving you a ride. Ms. Maloney grinned at him. You'll be our very first passenger, Andy. How do you feel about being a guinea pig? He laughed. I'll be your doormat if it'll get me to ten volt by the first. He looked back at me. When will you know, Captain? I should know by tomorrow noon. We can figure out what's what after that. Perfect. I've got a room up at Orbit House. You can find me there and let me know. Both Miss Maloney and I nodded. Excellent. Thank you. He reached out to pump my hand. I returned the honor, but warned, Don't thank me yet. I still have to work through the red tape. I understand red tape, Captain. Trust me on that. Both he and Ms. Maloney snickered a little, and I suspected a story lay behind the laugh. We finished our coffee and headed for the lift. I'll contact you at Orbit House when we have more information, Andy. We stopped, and she smiled warmly. It's great seeing you again. She gave him a hug, which he returned with gusto. The lift pinged for up, and he stepped onto the car. Tomorrow, he said by way of farewell, and the doors closed behind him. While we waited for the next car, Ms. Maloney turned to me. What do you think, Captain? I took a deep breath and let it out slowly. Well, unless I miss my guess, our cargo is his gear. She nodded in agreement. He seems a nice enough guy that if we're not exactly the Ben Franklin, he'll be willing to overlook it. Not to mention desperate, she added. A short laugh barked out of me. There's that. The lift opened and we got on, pressing the button for the docks. All I have to do now is pass the test, I muttered. We got faith in you, Skipper, Miss Arione offered. Ms. Maloney murmured, trust Iris. The doors closed and we headed back to the ship. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 42, Wellover Orbital, January 13. 2373. Miss Arioni escorted me to the CPJCT offices after breakfast mess, where I presented myself for an examination for small craft steward endorsement. If the functionary behind the counter thought anything about my traveling with an able spacer, she didn't say anything about it, or even seemed to notice. She took my name and license number, had me pay the endorsement exam fee, and, after checking her records, escorted me to a booth where Miss Arioni stood outside, while I took a seat in front of the screen. The functionary made sure I understood how to use the equipment and left me with, Take all the time you need, Captain. It's not a timed exam. I dug in and lost myself in the wonders of food preparation, passenger liability, rights and responsibilities of officers operating in deep space, and myriad details of equal import. After a while, I realized I'd come to the end of the questions and, by passing the opportunity to check my answers, file the exam. A quick glance at the chrono explained why my back and legs ached. I stood from the chair and shook out the stiffness. In a moment, a different functionary opened the door and led me back to the counter. Ms. Arione looked a little worse for wear after standing outside the door for the better part of four stands, but she followed along. At the counter, the functionary checked my results, nodded in satisfaction, charged me the actual endorsement fee, a signal that I had passed, and turned to look at me. Congratulations, Captain. Once you receive the endorsement on your record, you can legally transport passengers, not to exceed ten on any single trip, anywhere in the Western Annex. Miserioni smiled happily, but something in his tone made me wait before celebrating. We'll transmit the endorsement to you electronically within the next seven to ten working days, and we'll forward a physical representation to your next port of call, which will be... He paused, hands on keys, looking expectantly at me. How soon? Within the next three weeks, Captain, but the endorsement will be on your record in about half that time. What's your next port of call, and when will you be there? Ten volt. We should be there by the first of February. He typed and nodded. Yes, Captain, it should be waiting for you there, and if it's not, just see the office on ten volt. They'll be able to take care of it. So if I'm interpreting what you're saying, Mr. I paused to look at his badge. Crookshank, I need to wait until I get to ten volt before I can legally carry passengers. Correct, Captain. The man was matter-of-fact and unapologetic. Until the endorsement has been placed on your record, you're not licensed for the transportation of passengers on your vessel. And that will take seven to ten days. Seven to ten working days, Captain. Call it two weeks for round figuring. Thank you, Mr. Crookshank. You're welcome, Captain Wong. I turned to Miss Arione. Home, Jane. She frowned at me. I'm not Jane, sir. A figure of speech from a long time ago, Miss Arione. Please take me back to the ship. Oh, of course, Skipper. Why didn't you say that to begin with? 
I shook my head and sighed as I followed her out of the office and we headed for the lift. Ms. Maloney met us at the top of the ladder with an expectant expression on her face. She saw mine and immediately sighed. Welcome back, Captain. The chief and I were just sitting down to lunch. She turned and led the way back into the galley. A pot of vegetable soup warmed on the burner and a couple of crusty bowls of bread lay on a cutting board in the middle of the table. Ms. Arione and I helped ourselves to the soup and I admired the textures and colors that swam in the redolent broth. I sat down with the hot soup and Ms. Maloney carved a chunk of the fresh crusty bread for each of us. The soup was delicious and the bread had a texture and a nutty flavor that was both delectable and chewy. The earthy flavors of the broth and vegetables perfectly complemented the rich, yeasty bread. I realized with a start that I was halfway through the bowl and hadn't said a word since I'd started. I forced my spoon down and looked up, somewhat embarrassed, only to find everyone, except Ms. Maloney, elbow deep in lunch and as engaged with it as I had been. Ms. Maloney sipped a bit of broth from her bowl and smiled. "'You've been hiding your light under a bushel, Ms. Maloney. This is spectacular. Thank you, Captain.' Adequate to the need, I believe. Ms. Arione emerged from her ingestion with a shocked, Adequate! This is amazing! Ms. Maloney grinned back and laughed. Thank you. The chief looked up briefly, brandished his spoon once, and then dug in again. I couldn't say I blamed him. Pardon me for being so nosy, Ms. Maloney, but where did you learn to cook like this? At L'Institut des Arts Culinaires de Souci, Captain. She shrugged it off. My mother insisted that I go to a college after St. Vrain Academy for Ladies, so I picked one as far away as I could get. I struggled with my astronomical geography, but couldn't find it in my memory. Souci is where, Miss Maloney? Secondary Confederation Port and the Impromptu Sector, Captain. When I pictured the Western Annex, I realized she was talking about a sector diagonally opposite from Diurnia. Yes, Miss Maloney, any further, and you'd have been in the core worlds. She gave a cheerful grin. Yes, sir. I tried there, but father balked at the transportation costs. Well, I'm embarrassed to have been cooking for you, Miss Maloney. This is... I was at a loss for words. Spectacular. Actually, I was impressed, Captain. You make a mean cup of coffee, and you set a nice table. There's a lot to be said for good simple fare that's well made, and we've had time pressure since the day we came aboard, sir. The irony of it was not lost on me, and I savored it for a moment... I was the captain of the vessel. The lowest-ranking member of my crew had complimented my cooking, of all things, and I felt inordinately pleased with myself. Thank you, Miss Maloney. We ate for a few takes before Miss Maloney broke the silence. What shall we tell Andrew, Captain? That's a problem, Miss Maloney. I passed the test, but I'm not licensed to carry passengers until they finish tying a big bow in the red tape. I suspect they've got to file it at the Confederation seat on Diurnia, but who knows... Bottom line, it'll be two weeks before I can legally transport a passenger. We'll be in ten volt by then, won't we, Captain? That was my plan, Miss Maloney. So what do we tell him, sir? I weighed the options and looked at her. He's a friend of yours, from E&D. She seemed startled. Yes, Captain. How did you guess? He knows you from way back. He's about your age, and his specialty is seismic mapping. It seemed obvious. She chuckled. Okay, yes, we were on assignment together. Can you contact him? Ask him to meet you here? She seemed a bit confused, but nodded her assent. I don't know why not, but to what end? I want to see how badly he wants to go to ten volt. Ms. Arione frowned in consternation, but Ms. Maloney's look was more speculative. Okay, Captain, what time? Cargo says they'll have his shipment here around 1,500. 
Why don't you ask him to come help supervise the loading? She shrugged and pulled out her tablet. Aye, aye, sir, she murmured, and keyed the message with a bemused smile on her face. Sent, sir. Thank you, Miss Maloney. Did you get the screen sent up in the passenger compartments this morning, Chief? He looked up, startled. No, Cap, I surely didn't. You didn't say anything, did you? No, sorry, I didn't. I can do that right after lunch if you like, Cap. I can. Please do that, Chief, and when you're done with that, I've got a new console to go in here. I'm not happy with my tablet as repeater, and running a dedicated one here will be better. You'll find the unit in the corner, right over there, bulkhead mount and a wireless keyboard. He craned his head around on his neck to look and nodded. Oh, aye, aye, Cap, not a problem, not at all. I also got an upgraded communication subsystem board for the main cabinet. I'll be changing that out this afternoon. I looked around the table. The tablets may be offline for a short time until I get the board in and configured. Everybody nodded. My spoon scraped empty bowl, and I looked down, surprised and saddened. Well, that was delicious, Miss Maloney. Thank you for sharing your skills with us and for taking the initiative. She murmured something polite, and I turned to Miss Arione. Miss Arione, she made it. I suppose the least we can do is clean it up. She nodded and gave a jaunty, aye, aye, Captain. We all stood and started for our chores. The chief filled his mug and headed aft while Miss Arione and I made very short work of the luncheon cleanup. Miss Maloney helped by taking care of the leftover food and sweeping the deck. When we finished, I turned to her. Miss Arione, you spent a very long morning on your feet. Please feel free to take the afternoon off. Before she could ask, I said, I'll stay aboard until you come back. She grinned. I'm not going to go anywhere, but a bit of a lie down after lunch sounds good to me. I looked at the chrono. You can probably get a couple of stands in before things get too noisy with the cargo loading. Thank you, Skipper. I'll do that. She headed aft, leaving Ms. Maloney and I in the galley. Captain, what are you going to tell Andrew? I'm not sure, Ms. Maloney, but the bigger problem is what do we do with another crewman? Another crewman, sir? I grabbed a fresh mug of coffee and sat at the table. Yes, Ms. Maloney, I need another bridge watch, and I can probably find somebody on the dock to take your place, but where do we put him or her? She gave me a concerned frown. Where am I going, Captain? I'm transferring you to steward division, Miss Maloney, if you want to go. Captain? You really only need to keep a job on the ship, correct, Miss Maloney? The codicil says we'll obtain a quarter share berth in any class solar clipper with a proviso that the ship not be owned in whole or in part by DST or any member of the board, employee of the company, or family member. She rattled off the language, and I had no doubt it was verbatim. The pertinent clause has to do with staying on the ship for Stanier, Captain. Do you know that one by heart, too, Miss Maloney? She gave a bitter snicker and recited, If my daughter completes one standard year of satisfactory service aboard said vessel, I will bequeath my complete majority holding in Diurnia salvage and transport to her without reservation or further direction. Well, you've done the first step, Miss Maloney. You've obtained a quarter-share berth on a ship that has no direct ties with DST. Kirsten Kingsley and Ronnie Del Mati made sure that this vessel is above reproach on that score. Her face took on a thoughtful frown. All you need to do now is complete a stanier of satisfactory service. By my count, that's fifty more weeks, plus or minus a day or two. What job you do aboard is irrelevant, so long as you do it. Your father was a freight man, and so am I. I have never run a ship with passengers, only crew and cargo. Did he know you went to l'Institut des Arts Culinaires? I presume so, Captain. He paid the bills, and he complained occasionally about the useless frippery. Frippery? I asked. He used the word frippery? His vocabulary could be rather eccentric at times, Captain. So he knew you were a chef, but I bet he never considered how valuable that would be aboard a freighter. Or more precisely, I bet he considered that it was a largely wasted skill. That seems like father. 
I took a deep breath and blew it out, then took a pull off my coffee mug while I organized my thoughts. Okay, Miss Maloney, first. Do you like being a chef? Is cooking something you enjoy? She seemed surprised by the question. Of course, Captain. At one point I considered opening my own restaurant, but I never found the right place and time. She snorted a gentle laugh. You know, when I went to the Institute, I picked it because it was on the other edge of the universe from my mother, not because I was particularly interested in it or anything. I went because it was far away, and I could be a person rather than a trophy. I didn't have to move away from my mother, and we actually got along pretty well, but I can see how your experience would be considerably different. She grinned. Undoubtedly. Anyway, once I got there and got into the world of food, taste, texture, technique, all of it fascinated me, and I threw myself into it. It was heaven. Nobody knew me. I didn't even have a bodyguard there. Nobody had one. I did pretty well there, but I was in school with people who were third or fourth generation chefs. They grew up with it, living it, breathing it, literally eating it. She shook her head. I did pretty well, but I couldn't match the best of them. I did well enough to graduate near the middle of the class, but not well enough to get a job that would move me up on the ladder. She shrugged and let her story end there. Thank you, Miss Maloney. That helps me with the next part, which is... If we're going to bring passengers aboard, we need a cook. More precisely, a host. Somebody to watch out for them, take care of them. The key thing is cooking. We were a bit haphazard on the way out here, because with the watch standing and all, getting meals lined up and executed fell too low on my priority list. I thought we did pretty well, truthfully, Captain. We got fed and ate well. Thank you, Ms. Maloney, but I think we need a bit more rigor if we're going to take paying passengers. I can see that, sir. What I'm angling for here, Miss Maloney, is to make a trip on the Iris more than something to be endured. I want our passengers to leave the ship refreshed from the trip, rested and relaxed and ready to go when they get there. She snorted. That would be a treat. Between the cramped spaces, the long voyages, and the food. She blinked as she realized what she had said. Exactly. I haven't done a lot of travel by fast packet, but it seems to me that we may have found a niche we can take advantage of. Why, Captain, are you trying to take advantage of me? She said it with a mocking smile. Yes, Miss Maloney, I am, or, more precisely, your unique skill set. But it's your choice. If you want to stay on bridge watch, I won't force you to stop. Okay, Captain. So what's with the other crewmen? If you become our new host, the chef and main steward, then you can't be standing watches all night. You need to be on the same schedule as the passengers. You'll be working long days but sleeping at night. With you down here... I need a third for the bridge. Usually you need a fourth for bridge, Captain. I groaned at the pun and shook my head. Regardless, if we bring aboard another crewman, then where do we put him that's fair? She frowned in concentration. Another person means another share, doesn't it? Yes, it means we're splitting it a lot of ways, but in gross terms, that's really not much of an issue. Housing is the bigger problem. We only have the one crew space, and if we outgrow that, we lose a passenger compartment. We sat there like that for three full ticks. What are the chances we'll need them all, Captain? Well, I'd hope to be able to maximize our capabilities by using all four. If we lose a compartment, we lose, potentially, a quarter of our revenue from passengers. Yes, but, she said, waiting for me to catch up. But only if we fill them all the time, and that's not really likely, is it, Miss Maloney? Not only that, Captain, but if you're thinking about setting up the ship to be the kind of experience you're talking about, with luxurious bunks, gourmet meals, and fast service, you need to charge for it. 
Regardless of the number of passengers, you need the staff to give the passengers the kind of experience you want to offer. Staff needs quarters, and we've got a finite set. Unless you want to make the chief string a hammock in engineering, the ship has a limit. Excellent points, Ms. Maloney. The more I thought about it, the more I had to agree. The only difference between crew quarters and the over-and-under passenger compartments was size. I'd outfitted our crew quarters with very good bunks and linens and even replaced the consoles. We'd used that as a kind of template for the passengers. She could see me thinking, and she didn't interrupt. After a half-dozen heartbeats of thought, I rose. Would you give me a hand, Miss Maloney? Of course, sir. We left our mugs on the table, and I headed aft along the passage. The chief had three of the new panels hung and was working on the fourth. He looked up and nodded as I led Miss Maloney into the passenger compartment next to crew quarters. It was one of the over-and-unders. Immediately forward of that compartment was the starboard side head, while aft was crew quarters. Bunks hung on the after bulkhead, and I examined the bulkheads near where they intersected at the overhead and deck. What are you looking for, Captain? Small access doors, probably pressure fit. I couldn't see anything, but when I pressed on the lower corner, I heard a click, and the panel swung open when I released the pressure. When I looked in, I saw the peg that held the bulkhead pinned to the internal rib. What's that, Captain? The answer, if I can figure out the other half, Miss Maloney. I ran my hand along the base of the passageway bulkhead. I could see the heavy peg went into a simple hole in the base. Logic dictated that there should be some more holes like that already built into the structure, and I remembered seeing them on the structural schematics back on Diurnia. What I found were some spots along the floor level, about where the peg should go, that felt odd. I tried to find an edge to get a nail under and pull out, but when I pressed, the structure gave a little and then popped out in my hand. I looked up at where Ms. Maloney was looking down at me. I held the small plug in the palm of my hand and smiled. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. 